Nachyomi for the Orthodox Union, Sefer Yoshua, the Book of Joshua, Perachov Dalit, Chapter 24, Rabbi Bini Marilis. We now come to the conclusion of the book. It's the last words of Yoshua to the people, his last speech, his last written opportunity as we have it, to talk to his people as the leader of the Jewish people. It's now the second chapter in a row that Yoshua has a speech for them, has what to share with them. The previous chapter dealt almost exclusively with the concern as related to the relationship with the other nations that remain and what can happen with the intermingling of tribes vis-a-vis the non-Jewish nations amongst them and the great concern that exists with respect to that fact and the great impact and to the great detriment that it could could cause the people going forward and sadly Yoshua is prophetic in the sense that in fact it does happen not to in the distant future even, does exactly what Yoshua is concerned about actually happen. In chapter 24, Yoshua is focused on the relationship of the Jewish people with God, and he is moving in a direction and pushing towards a comprehensive statement by the people as it relates to their willingness and desire to serve God. To the point by which he will get them and have them announce to the world, as it were, that they are the servants of God and that they only intend to serve God. Here is what I'd like to share with you the Malbim from the beginning of his commentary on the last parak, in the last chapter. And the Malbim talks about something what she calls the Inyan Eloki. This notion, this idea, the idea of God. And knowing and understanding God. And essentially what the Malbim will lay out is that the path to this moment was the path of the desire by God to have the full-on people of Israel know him, be aware of him, connect to him at a level that is very, very high, in a place well higher than they'd ever been before as a nation and as a people, something that could not have happened, could not have been attained earlier on. Here is the Malvim at the beginning of the chapter, and then we'll read the chapter. Me'adam ad Avraham hayah ha'segulav ha'inyan ha'eloki rak b'yechidim. From Adam until Abraham, from Adam till Avraham, the delight and the honor and the notion of Inyan Eloki, of having this full-on knowledge of God, was only with a few. 
Vahayuhem Kalev Upri. They were like the heart and the fruit. And the remainder of the people were like shells. From the moment when the righteousness of Avraham shone on the world, God desired that the Inyan Eloki, the notion of knowing God in this way, would rest on the many. Shehem Hashvatim, and that would be the tribes. Vachorehem Shivim Nefesh, and after them it would be the 70 members, who essentially go down to Mitzrayim. Vachorehem Uma Shalema, and after them it would be the full nation, Asher Panim Bepanim Diber Hashem who it was that God spoke to face to face. Vayidei Kain, Hutzrechu Ha'avos Ubenechem, so the fathers and the children required some purification, some sort of modification via tests. That all of the chaff and all of the shells should be removed. So that all that would remain would be the heart and the fruit and the purest and the most choice of oils. Just as the Kuzari wrote at great length. And this is in fact explained here in this text. Yoshua speaks to them. And he says, he says that the fathers were not worthy of this, not because of their place, and we'll go on with respect to it going further, and not because of their time and not because of their forefathers. So it would be that it would require a later date and a later period of time when the Inyan HaEloki, this idea of being close and face-to-face with God and having that relationship would rest upon the people and would be with the people what a relationship that would be with God for the full on nation of the Jews to be one with God in the land with the Torah the highest of the high what a place that would be exalted sanctity Kadosh Kadosh. But it took time. It took Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It took having Yishmaels and, uh, and Esops. It required having Shvatim, the tribes. It required ultimately having a period of time in Mitzrayim. It requires, unfortunately, the 40 years in the desert. They weren't ready. And now as we arrive on this location, Yehoshua will share with them, now is that time. Now is that opportunity. And the manner in which we have to serve God and we have to cling and cleave to God and worship HaKadosh Baruch Hu and keep and fulfill Torah and Mitzvos is a certain way. It's a certain approach to the relationship. And that's what Yehoshua is focused on in this chapter. Looking inside, Perch of Dalit. Vayesov Yehoshua Eskol Shifte Yisrael Shechema 
Here, our parak begins with the word not Vayikra, but Vayesof. Yoshua gathers them. He gathers them in this time, different than before, where he's simply called out to them. The Dasofrim offers that perhaps in the previous story, he called out, and whoever came, came, and whoever didn't, didn't. Here, he's careful, he's worried, he wants everyone to be present. They need to hear what he has to share. And he brings them to Shechem. He doesn't bring them to Shiloh. He brings them to Shechem. And what else does he bring to Shechem? And they stand before God. Commentaries pretty much across the board agree that when it says he stands before God, it means that he brought the Aron with him. The Aron comes to Shechem for the time being, for this event. But it doesn't go to Shiloh. Perhaps the Sofrim says the reason he doesn't go to Shiloh is because some of the things that Yoshua will charge of the people maybe shouldn't be said in the presence of the Mishkan. Perhaps. Nonetheless, they're standing before the Aron Hashem. And so Yoshua begins in Pasuk Beis in verse number 2 to speak about the history of the Jewish people. This is famous because we know it from Pesach. Nonetheless, understanding the placement of it here is significant. Yeshua is setting the stage for them to understand the nature of the relationship that they are to have with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, the manner in which they are to worship and serve God. And he says, this is what God has spoken. The beginning, our people sat on the other side of the river. Terach was the father of Avraham, and he was the father of Nachor. Nachor is mentioned here because he's the klipa, he's the shell. So is Terach. They're not fruit. Their shell, their peel, their chaff. And they worshipped and served other gods. Makes it impossible for Avraham to fulfill the full destiny on his own. So, God says, I took Avraham away from it. And I schlepped him around all of the land of Canaan. And I increased his children, and I gave him a Yitzchak. But of course, he also gave him a Yishmael. And I gave to Yitzchak two sons. I gave him a Yaakov, and I gave him an Esav. An Esav, essentially, again, chaff. And I gave him Har Seir, this great piece of property, somewhere else to inherit. And they sent Yaakov and, and his children down to Mitzrayim. And then, God sent Moshe and Aaron, two great leaders of the Jewish people, to hit Mitzrayim. So he hit them. And they took you out. Notice in the text, 
that Yoshua is essentially speaking the voice of God. This is prophecy. At the same time, he's also speaking to them in the first person as if this has actually happened to them. It's clear that most of the people standing here with Yoshua were not there when they left Mitzrayim. Certainly there's a number of people, no question about it. But the notion of talking to them in the first person, this happened to you, 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 and you, he's bringing them back, he's connecting them to the source, he's connecting them to the history, he's putting it back in their lives. And I took your fathers out of Mitzrayim and I brought them to the water. And I brought them to the edge of the water and I had the Mitzrayim chase after them. And it looked grim and it looked bad. They called out, they cried out, they screamed out to God. Separated between the two groups. And they brought on them the water and it covered them. He settled in the desert for many, many days. Two things to point out. One, it's clear that what Yeshua is trying to do is connect the dots, the significant dots in the history of the Jewish people, and the destiny of the Jewish people, and the fulfillment as it is now before them. Interestingly enough, Harsinai is not mentioned here. It's worthy of a, perhaps a discussion on the side. But we have Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, we have Yamsuf, we have 40 years in the desert, we have Balak, we have the period of time, the wars of Yoshua, but not Harsinai. So from a practical sense, it's important to realize that later in the chapter it's coming up, so that's good. But in the sense of the connecting of the dots here, he's talking about the destiny of the people as a people. Let's hold Harsinai for a moment because of the magnitude of that moment. And let's hold it out and let's talk about it in conjunction with this entire historical discussion about the fate and destiny of the Jews. Verse 8. And I brought you to the edge of the Amorite kingdoms. And they fought with you. They gave you their land, and I, we, and I destroyed them for you. And then Balak got up, and he fought with you. Now his war with the Jews was different than the other wars. The war of the Amorite was a physical war. The war of Balak ben Sipor is a spiritual war. Because he doesn't come to fight with arms. And he's sent to Kobila to curse you, to use words, to fight in a different way. Ah, verse 10. I did not listen. I had no want or desire to listen to what Bilam wanted. And he blessed you instead. He fought all of them. 
They battled with you. They came to war with you. And we defeated them all. All were put in your hand. What does it mean, the Tzir'ah? So most of the commentaries offer a little understanding of the term Tzir'ah, that it was some sort of an animal, a bug, that would attack the people, and in that way, they didn't have to use their weapons. It wasn't simply a classic warfare. But by virtue of attacking them this way, the people themselves, the enemy, was not able to fight back. Uh, the Radak quotes the Gemara Masechah Sota. Hatzirahi means Zivuv Ra Matil Eres. It's some sort of a bug that has some sort of a venom. And that the bug itself would attack the eyes of the enemy, and they couldn't fight. And thus they were able... Uh, to destroy the enemy without without weapons, without without a real fight, without a real war. The Malbim takes it a little bit less literally, and he says as follows: It's a repetition here, mentioning the two kings again. So, what exactly does it serve as a purpose? The notion that the other enemy, the other nations had heard that you had captured and destroyed the two kings without real warfare because I had saved you and I had served as your warrior. I, God, have played that role. This was like a uh, some sort of a pestilence, some sort of an animal, some sort of a a venom. Shehis yaru mipnei hashmu hazos ubarachume artzam laAfrika. That they had then become f- afraid from what they had heard and scared, and they ran away. It's not an actual sense of an animal taking a bite out of the people, but essentially what we talked about at the beginning with Rachav taking the will out of the people. Verse 13, I gave you a country that you did not toil for, and I gave you cities that you did not build, and you sat in them. And vineyards and trees and olives that you did not plant, you're now eating. And here, Yoshua gets to it. The manner in which he speaks to the people with respect to their obligations towards God comes out in a very special way from Yehoshua. And here it is what he's talking about. It seems the people don't exactly get it, and thus he repeats it. So the structure of the remaining sections until his passing at the end of the chapter is his charge here with respect to serving God the initial response of the Jewish people to Yeshua, his response to them, again, a second command to them, really, and their ultimate and correct 
proper response to him going forward. Verse 14. Fear God. Be awed. And serve God. With purity and with truth. He says, and remove all of the gods that your fathers worshipped across the river and in Mitzrayim and serve God. Doesn't mean actual gods. Doesn't mean actual servitude. Perhaps it means more likely... more likely in the heart but serve God only Yivdu es Hashem nothing else just God and now Yeshua says something that is so shocking and surprising hmm. unbelievable Adonai and if you think serving God is a bad idea, then choose today who it is in fact that you will serve. If it is the God or the gods that your forefathers and forebearers served on the other side of the river, or is it the other gods of the people in the land where you now live? But me, says Yoshua, me and my house, we serve only God. In other words, says Yoshua to them, it has to be pristine and it has to be pure. And it has to be singular in mind and in heart and in focus and in action. No other possibilities for the Inyan Eloki. To be at this level, to be where you are in this moment, unique in the history of the Jewish people, an opportunity that we all daven for, that we all pray for and, and dream about. Choose, says Yehoshua. And the nation responds. In verse 16, they respond. And they say back to Yeshua what they think is what he wants as an answer. Yeshua, don't say such a thing. No way. God forbid that we would leave God our God to serve any other God. So in other words, they're acknowledging, oh, we're only going to serve God. But now let's see their explanation. And this is where Yoshua, based on what we're saying with the Malbim, Yoshua has some difficulty in their response. It doesn't match where he wants them to be. Here they say, Ki Adonai Eloheinu, Hu Osanu, Mitzrayim One. Practically speaking, from a historical perspective, 
God is the one who took us out of Mitzrayim. So of course we're going to serve Him. Two, and He did all these unbelievable things before our eyes. Three, he was careful, he was watchful. He, he brought security to us as we traversed all the territories and were involved with all of these other nations. And then practically speaking it again, he said, they say in verse 18, And he chased away all the nations from before us. We too, just like you, Yahushua, will worship only God because He is our God. So, from what perspective did they respond to Yahushua? Or what was, it, what was their thinking? What were they? What were they saying? The people were focused, perhaps. On the wrong reason, not a not wrong in the sense that that's not a reason to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu. But rather, Yeshua wants more. He's going higher, and it's clear that initially they're not there where he wants them to be, and they're not seeing it and they're not hearing it. So essentially, he repeats it, but with different words. Listen to the Malbim. In verse 19, the Malbim says like this. Yoshua spoke. That which they're choosing to serve God. It's out of the goodness and out of the purpose. Out of the notion of all the good that a Kaddish Baruch has done for them and out of fear of harm. If they leave, and a service like this, a worship like this, uh-uh, not going to work. Simply for the purpose to get it, to, for the for the for the goal of some purpose, as as, as a notion of a response to what Hakadosh Baruch has done for them. Or lahasunezek to remove any pitfalls or danger, that's not going to work. It's not going to last. So it says Yoshua as follows: You cannot serve God. What? What a statement! They can serve God. Of course they can serve God. But understanding what Yoshua is saying to them, according to the Malbim at least. You cannot serve God in this manner. Ki Elohim Kedoshimhu. He's a God of holiness. Pure, unadulterated sanctity. Holiness. Kedusha. It ebbs and flows from God. Nothing else, no other way, no other understanding of it. Ki Kadosh Ani, the Psukim always tell us, because God is holiness. And it can't be for anything else. El Kanohu Lo He will not let pass all of your Averos and your transgressions. 
If you leave God and you worship strange gods, then God will be not so good to you and he will destroy you after he'd given you all of this good. And they respond now and understand. Vayomer Amel Yehoshua in verse 21. Lo, no Yehoshua. Ki es Adonai na'avod. Yehoshua, we will do it. We will serve God. One and only singular, united, echad, God. And now Yehoshua solidifies and concretizes seals the deal with them essentially a reaffirmation of the covenant of the bris that already exists between God and the Jewish people you are witnesses testimony to the fact that you chose to serve God in the manner in which I spoke to you about it you are the Testimony for all generations. And they answer, Edim. We are witnesses. Now then, he says, All of the wasteful, meaningless thoughts that are in your hearts. And turn your hearts towards God of the Jews. They say to Yehoshua, We will serve our God, the God of our people, and we will listen to Him. Almost a Nasev and Nishma type statement. Yehoshua affects a covenant with the people on that day. Yeshua writes it down, signed, sealed, and delivered. The people are in, establishing their commitment to God and Torah and mitzvot in the land. They're establishing their relationship and the desire to fulfill the relationship with God at that level. And Yoshua finishes it out. Vayom Yoshua al-Kola Am Hineha Evan Hazos Tiabanu le Eida Kihi Shama Eis Kol Imre Adonai Shadibari Manu Vaisal Bachem le Eida Pentechachashun be Elohechem. This will serve as a testimony. This will serve as a symbolic object, a matseva, a monument to what was testified to and agreed to here on this day. Lest you stray. And cross God. And he sends them home. The story then ends with the passing of Yoshua and with the passing of Eliezer and the move of the Jewish people essentially into a new era of leadership, into the future of their settlement in the land. In verse 29. In Yoshua's death at the age of 110, 
he reaches the level of being called the servant of God, a title only given to, till this point, Moshe Rabbeinu, and now ascribed as well to the student, to the follow-up leader, to Yoshua. He also is called Eved Hashem in his passing. Parenthetically, the Gemara Baba Basra that told us at the beginning that Yeshua wrote his own book also tells us that these few psukim with respect to his own death were not in fact written by him but in fact it appears were written by Pinchas. <clears throat> they bury him in his city in the city they had given him earlier Timnas Serach Mitzvon lahar Gaash, to the north of a place called Hargaash. The Jewish people served God all the days of Yehoshua. And all the days of the Zekanim, the elders who lived on after Yehoshua, who knew the knowledge that they had was personal, experiential knowledge of God, right? That it was given to Moshe, given to Yoshua, Masrala Zikanim is given to the Zikanim. These are the Zikanim. Full circle now, finishing it out. The bones that were brought up, Yosef Yosef Hatzadik's bones that were carried by Moshe, which were passed then to Yoshua, which are then passed to the gen- to the nation itself, are buried in the city of Shechem Bechalka in the land and the territory that Yaakov Avinu had bought all those years before. And it was given to the children, it was for the children of Yosef, a Nachla inheritance. And they bury him in the territory that belonged to Pinchas' son, Pinchas is a Kohen. So the different discussions that it was his wife's territory that he inherited. But Elazar passes away, and absent a few individuals, the relationship to the story of the Midbar and the sojourn through, through the Sinai and through the desert is over. And now the Jewish people are settled into their land and they're settled into their territory and they're settled into their place. And it sets the stage for the Sefer Shoftim to the Book of Judges, which we begin tomorrow.